I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. This is The Literary Life. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. I've owned books and books and been a bookseller for over 35 years. What you're about to hear are conversations about all things literary, with writers, readers, publishers, old friends, new friends, and anyone who might wander into our store with an interesting story to tell about their connection to books, reading, or writing. These will be informal, over-the-backyard-fence kind of conversations, the kind I and booksellers everywhere have each and every day. What do the Great Gatsby, the Catcher in the Rye, the Grapes of Wrath, the Kill a Mockingbird, Slaughterhouse-Five, the Color Purple, Beloved, Ulysses, all of the Harry Potter books, what do they have, what do they all have in common? What they do have in common is that they were all banned at one point by some school district government agency, by somebody. These are all banned books. These are classic books that have been taken out of high school libraries or college libraries or have just been um, taken out of circulation so that people could not read them. And today we're going to be talking about banned books. And the reason is, for a week starting on September 22nd, the American Booksellers Association the American Library Association, and a number of other sponsors have designated Banned Books Week. And with me are two wonderful people who have been very much involved in getting independent booksellers across the country through their work at the American Bookseller Association to advocate on behalf of banned books. With me is Dave Grogan, who's the director of ABFI, ABFI is the American Booksellers Foundation for Free Expression. 
He's also involved with advocacy and public policy for the ABA, and he is also prime, the primary contact for public policy matters, and he leads the ABA's efforts regarding free expression, readers' rights, and the First Amendment. Dave joined ABA in 2002, and you know, Dave, I think right around then is when I was the president of the ABA, I think. That's right. And he's played a major role in ABA's advocacy initiatives, including the successful campaign in support of e-fairness, among many, many other issues. With Dave is Sidney Girard. We're so fortunate to have Sydney as part of the American Booksellers Association. She is the content director of the association. She oversees the production of the ABA's newsletter, which we all use, called Bookselling This Week, and supervises and, manage, and manages all content creation for bookweb.org and oversees ABA's social media initiatives, as well as overall member communications. She's been very involved with Banned Books Week, and I want to welcome both Sydney and Dave to the literary life. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Now, you have your own podcast, too, don't you? We do. We certainly do. It's called Counterspeak. Uh, once a month, we talk to people about items going free speech world. Um, we've talked to authors, we've talked to the Deputy General Counsel for the New York Times, we've talked to uh, the Columbia University President, Lee Bollinger. Um, we, we focus on anything that's going on in the free speech arena, whether it's now, whether it's in the past. Um, we look at the history of free speech, we look at the fights that are being fought right now, and it's, a, it's been a really fascinating learning experience. I know Dave has been in the free speech world for a lot longer than I have. Um, you know, I came to this route via publishing, but uh, I, I've certainly learned a lot since we started this podcast. Yeah, you caught on quick. And, and our last episode, actually, we had an interview with, um, with Oren Tyker, the, the American Booksellers Association CEO, and he's retiring at the end of the year. And he talks about the founding of Abti and, and why that came about. So, Well, and uh, Oren, I, Oren was basically, Dave, brought on mm -hmm. to head Abfi, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct, 1990. And then he turned it over to Chris Chris Finan, who we all love, who's yeah. now, Chris now moved on to a larger position in the world of uh, censorship. That's right, he's with the National Coalition Against Censorship. And yeah, Chris is still very much a mentor for me, uh, very helpful. And his work with the Campaign for Reader Privacy back with Section 215 in 2002 on, a battle that's still going on in some aspects, but uh, he was really uh, fantastic in that effort. Section 215 refers to the FISA laws, I believe, yes. that, that happened well, after 9-11. Yeah. yeah, where it put bookstore records in, in danger of being uh, searched by the FBI, um, and it, it got narrowed so that there has to be probable cause, simply well, put. Well, you know, what's so interesting is that the general reader doesn't really, I don't think, understand completely just how fragile um, their right to read actually is. Wouldn't you agree to that? Right. Yeah, I, I think they're always surprised when I talk to booksellers about Banned Books Week and they tell me about their displays and what they do. They say people are very surprised that there's 
still book banning. There's there there's books being pulled off the shelves. There's even uh, book burnings we hear about, and this is always surprising to people because I think if more people knew about the threat to reader privacy, they would be speaking up about it. So Banned Books Week is a really great opportunity to call attention to what's going on, uh, whether it's schools or libraries pulling books off the shelves or out of curriculum, or whether it's just somebody, a legislator, writing a bookstore to complain about carrying books. Right. There's always, we we often refer to the chilling effect that a lot of these things have. May not be an absolute ban, but when you get, when you get a letter from a governor or a state legislature, legislator who asks you to, why are you carrying that book? It really puts the fear into a lot of people. And we as booksellers are so happy that the ABA is able to advocate on our behalf. Right. I think that began with the, there was the Mies Commission back in the 80s regarding pornography. And I think ADSI kind of was spurred by that idea that they were writing retailers saying, we're going to put you on a list because you carry uh, what was legally uh, protected materials, uh, materials that were that were legal to sell. But, um, you know, that's definitely a chilling effect that it's it's intimidating to get a letter from a le- legislator about a book you carry. Well, you know, interestingly, the way this works is that there have been some very heroic booksellers that most people probably listening to this podcast don't know about. I mean, we all know the work of Joyce Meskis, right, and the tattered cover. Right. And what she did in terms of yeah. in terms of changing the laws basically in Colorado about about uh, the the way a, 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 a subpoena needed to be answered or not answered. Um, right. I remember, you know, during the Monica Lewinsky case with uh, Bill Clinton, what happened with the bookstore, I forget the name of it exactly, but the bookstore in D.C., which fought that. Um, there have been lots of cases of that sort of thing. Yeah. But it even goes back into history. I mean, think about in the days of the... You know, Ulysses was banned in this country. Uh, Henry right. Miller was banned. You had booksellers right. like Francis Stelloff at the Gotham Book Mart, which doesn't exist anymore, who fought that. Or Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who fought that, fought the fight against censorship of Allen Ginsberg's uh, poetry. Mm-hmm. It's a long, good fight that independent booksellers have had. And, and you guys have been at the forefront of it. So just what is Banned Books Week? If a, if a reader goes into a bookstore, what might they expect? Well, I think the main thing about Banned Books Week is that we send booksellers a, a lot of materials that they can use to create displays. We send them this caution tape that staff here spends a good week and a half rolling up to send to them. But the caution tape calls attention to these books have been challenged, they've been banned, they've been... Um, criticized for the, you know, whether, whether it's offensive, offensive material or what have you. And, and a lot of the books in those displays, I think, surprise, you know, depending on what the bookseller chooses, and that's up to them, but it, it calls attention to, to books that have been challenged or banned, and I think it starts a conversation. And I think that's the main thing with Banned Books Week, is it, it, it will take consumers by surprise, and it starts conversations. And I, and I think, Mitchell, you probably know that better than anybody, that that when when somebody comes in and sees that say uh, Huckleberry Finn or To Kill a Mockingbird has been challenged or banned or Harry Potter, 
has been removed from uh, from from shelves, it, it it really starts a conversation that I think it opens eyes, and that's really what we're trying to call attention to this this issue each year. And it really is one of the highlights of our year because we really get to, um, you know, I, I was going to say we get to shine a light on this, and and it's funny because this year's event is called the theme is censorship leaves us in the dark, so keep the light on, and it's a great. It's a great theme that the coalition brought up, and and it really does. It really does leave us uh, ignorant and in the dark, and and it it just shuts down discussion. So, um, and I think every year it's always a surprise to see what books end up on you know the most banned books list. Uh, the American Library Associ- Association releases a list every year. Um, and I'm sure that there are customers walking into stores who are absolutely astonished to see Captain Underpants on a list of fan books. <laughs> right. um, there's, there's other ones that, you know, maybe are slightly more expected, but there there are some that are just an absolute surprise. Um, there's lots of the classics, but there's also The Perks of Being a Wallflower. There's also The Hate You Give. Um, there's plenty of modern books that are ending up on these lists all the time. Well, the the American Library Association uh, puts out a list each year of the most banned books, right? Um, Right. And um, I think, I believe, the number one book was George by Alex Gino of last last year. And the reason it was banned and challenged and relocated because it was believed to encourage children to clear browser history and change their bodies using hormones and for mentioning dirty magazines, describing male anatomy, creating confusion, and including a transgender character. Um, Boy. (laughs) it's uh, And then also Captain Underpants, as you say, The Hate You Give. These were all banned. 13 Reasons Why. Really disturbing that, um, that that would happen. But you know what I'd like you to do? So, you know, people come into the bookstore and say, how come you're not carrying that book? Are you banning that book? Uh, Dave, why don't you give a definition of what is really considered a banned book as opposed to selection? Banning versus selection. Yeah, as you know, every bookstore has limited space. Uh, Bricks and mortar stores have limited space to sell books. And and one of the great things, and, uh, and it's a challenge, I'm sure, but... It's up to the bookstore owner to curate their store as they see fit, and they do that according to, uh, you know, their personal uh, taste or what they think will sell. Uh, any number of factors will 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 factor in. Any number of, of, of reasons will factor into this. And so, when somebody comes in and says, "Hey, you know, how come you're not carrying this book? Or you, you know, you don't want me to see it? You want to ban it?" and and the First Amendment not only protects somebody's right to read a book they want to read, but it also protects a bookseller's right to carry the books they want to carry. And simply not having a book on a shelf does not constitute censorship. Now, when somebody goes into a store and says, I don't want that book on the shelf, and tries to get that book pulled off the shelf for whatever way they try to do it, that's censorship. That's when we're talking about banning a book. Particularly and by a I governmental think, agency or through pressure oh, yes. from the government and that sort of thing. Yes, and and we there was an issue actually earlier in the year where a letter was sent to uh, Amazon from Congressman Adam Schiff, and in so many words, 
he he asked them why they carry books about autism and and vaccine skepticism, and and it was a very uh, we wrote about it in book selling this week. It was a very intimidating letter, and um, but those kind of things happen, and and we try to issue statements and respond to those kind of issues, and it's we think it's just very important that people have access to books and that that we don't have lawmakers coming in because the First Amendment protects us from the government dictating what we can and cannot read. And and that's the key thing. And obviously when somebody is trying to take a book off a shelf uh, from the school, school is public, that's also a First Amendment issue, but there's also the freedom to read, the freedom of expression. And so when parents or customers or whoever else is trying to keep uh, a book from being sold, um, that's also something that, uh, is very important for us to um, to respond to and 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 it, it does we have resources for booksellers that they can go on our website at bookweb.org they can download about why they a bookstore may carry a certain book and why they may have a controversial author appear in the store and that it's all about dialogue and discussion which is why Sydney came up with the great name Counterspeak for a podcast because it is about dialogue, it's about discussion, and it's about talking to each other. And that was one of the first things that struck me about the whole First Amendment free speech debate was the fact that talking is really much more productive than shutting anything down. Um, we, we talked to Nadine Strawson for our first podcast, and she wrote a book recently about how free speech, how, how talking about these issues is so much more effective than just preventing speech at all. You know, there's also the snowball effect that once you start limiting speech in one way or another, where do you stop? And for me, it, w- it was, you know, as I was saying earlier, it was definitely a learning experience because I've kind of come from the social media world where you want to see hate speech shut down. You want to see, you know, um, speakers on college campuses who might not be so liberal. You don't want them there. Um, but I've really kind of changed my thinking on all of this because you, you can't change anyone's minds if you just prevent people from speaking up. You really need to be able to engage with these materials and learn about new worlds and new lifestyles and new aspects um, of, of our everyday society if you're really going to be able to be a complete and whole person. That's so well put. So well put. But we it, also where this happens a lot, not only in independent bookstores or bookstores in general, but the libraries are often victims of this. And I know why don't you speak to the role of the American Library Association in Band Book Week as well? Well, they do a great job. The American Library Association Office of Intellectual Freedom, they compile the list of challenged books that, uh, you know, we, we have a list of 11 of the top challenged books that they put out. And I think they're the ones that are, uh, you know, among the many things they do. This, I think the challenged books list is one of the things that really kind of opens people's eyes. And so they, kind of, they, they track these, these book challenges, and, of course, they work to respond to them as well. And, you know, they're part of the Banned Books Week uh, coalition as well. And so I think, you know, if I could go on forever about what they do, but that list of challenged books is really, really uh, central to what, what our message is, because that's the thing that people remember. They, they hear about those challenge books and the, the, the books you mentioned, George and Captain Underpants and all that kind of stuff. Or, it, it, that's, that's them doing that, that 
No, and, and they also, and they're keeping track of why they were banned, which is also really important. Yes. Which and, is very, yeah. And it's very, very potent. It happens today. It, I, it happens, it's, it's not history. It's something that we have yes. to fight each and every day. I mean, when you look, I mean, the Grapes of Wrath started being banned in 1939, and there are instances of it being banned in 1993. <laughs> Same with to kill, yeah. a, to kill a Mockingbird was banned. It was removed in 2009 uh, in Canada. It, the color purple was challenged uh, right. as recently as 2008. You know, it's it's something mm-hmm. beloved. The great Toni Morrison's book was pulled, and in fact, you know, I just saw a wonderful documentary in the life of Toni Morrison, and she talked about mm-hmm. uh, the banning of Beloved and uh, how that made her feel. And it, it was right. banned actually in her hometown, I believe, uh, in Ohio. Oh, wow. In in Ohio, yeah, <laughs> she it was really kind of amazing. But so we can never take any of this, you know, for no, granted I, I at just, all. I should, and when we're talking about the ALA, I mean, they tracked nearly 350 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services, and 483 books that were challenged or banned. So, it, you know, that's that's, that's wait. Repeat that again. Say that again. What? What? It, repeat that statistic. The ALA. The ALA tracked nearly 350 challenges to library, school, and university materials and services, as well as 483 books that were challenged or banned. Wow. In 2018. Wow. So, yeah. Pretty remarkable. Uh, so, the, so the problem is still profound. It's still a problem. And therefore, having your, listening to your podcast, having Banned Books Week, Readers need to pay attention. After the, the after readers become aware of this, what is it that they can then do? What are some of the things that a reader can do once they're aware that that books can be under siege? Not for a particular book, but in general, what could they possibly do? Well, I think it's important to know your rights, you know, know the First Amendment, but I also think sometimes it, it's, if it's like the school removing a book, go to the Board of Education meeting and speak up and just say, hey, you know, this it's our First Amendment right to have access to this material. Or if you don't want to do that, you can always just let us know. You can let AFSCE know uh, or any members of the Banned Books Week Coalition uh, or National Coalition Against Censorship, uh, American Booksellers Association. Or you could probably go to, you could probably go to your local independent bookstore and tell them about it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and just let us know that this is happening if you need help on an issue that is uh, where somebody's banning a book or they're censoring a book, or if you don't know if they are and you want to find out, does this fall in line with censorship or banned books? And, and you can let us know about it, and we can help you out. So, Dave, talk, tell, me, t- tell me a little bit. I mean, I know a lot about it, but tell our audience a little bit about ABFI. What is ABFI exactly? American Booksellers for Free Expression was founded in 1990. It, it started as the American Booksellers Foundation for Free Expression. And as, as you noted earlier, Oren Tyker uh, was uh, the president of APFI for quite some time. And, you know, and they, they did then what we do now. They countered uh, book banning challenges. They talked about the importance of dialogue, uh, countering hate speech with more speech and, you know, and, 
they even put out pamphlets about hate speech that we you know could be issued today and I think would still be relevant. And then Chris Finan, who we all know and love, came in and and took over for Orrin when he went to the ABA. And at that point, around the time where he took over, it was the uh, Patriot Act um, right after 9-11, and he started this campaign for reader privacy to modify Section 215, which allowed the FBI to go in and search bookstore records. Well, you know, I... I I had I, I yeah. saw how Abfi worked up close and personal. I I was once driving into my book shop in um, Carl Gables, and I got a call from somebody who had opened the store to tell me that two FBI agents were there, and they were oh asking. My. Yeah, no, it's really it was very very amazing. It was right. It was a few years after nine eleven, but when two fifteen was still very, uh, very much in play, and and the FBI agents were asking for the reading history of a customer of mine, and they were wondering uh, if I had what this customer had bought. Now, it wasn't about a terrorism case; it was about a different kind of case. However, I it was under it was under that section where I was not allowed to really tell anybody that they were even asking for it at the time, I believe. But I immediately called up Abfi and uh, Abfi had my back. And in a matter of hours, the, the subpoena was quashed because it was completely unfounded and, and uh, an illegal subpoena. And, and Abfi did that. And that was a resource right. that the American Bookseller Association created in order to do this. And Oren was so much at the forefront of that. Yeah, I, I know that Chris had a, a you know a resource of. That I, I meant Chris, he, Chris and Oren as well. Of course, it, it, he had a resource that they created that uh, it said what to do if the if the FBI or the authorities come in looking for bookstore records and it was a it was a, a, a list of, of the process to do and, and of course one of those was to call Chris at Abfi. But yeah, it, so he, he was really and there was a petition drive too where uh, all these signatures were delivered to Bernie Sanders, uh, I believe at a at a book expo that he was appearing at. But so there was you know, the booksellers were very engaged in that and that did so much in terms of lending weight to the argument to have that modified. It took a long time, and it's not certainly not perfect, but, you know, and it still exists, and there's still mass surveillance. But uh, in terms of bookstore records, it was modified to uh, alleviate some of that danger. And then Abfi, a couple of years ago, was, was brought in. When Chris left to go to the NCAC, National Coalition Against Censorship, Abfi was rolled into our advocacy division, at which uh, I lead for ADA, and First Amendment, since I've been in high school, has been a huge issue for me. It's been something that I cherish. It's something that it, it really to be on the forefront and working for AFSI is, is just a dream come true for me because it is something that has always meant something very, very special to me, you know, from the time I was a rabble rouser in high school and to, to today. It just really is um, It's something that we... It's just as important as ever for ABA. It, it is still the cornerstone of our advocacy, and um, and we're just out there fighting the good fight, I think. 
Well, I am so proud of the work that both you guys do and uh, and what the American Bookseller Association does and what the American Library Association does on behalf of all of us who are readers, who are sellers of books, in order to protect our First Amendment right. Um, I thank you for it. Um, I want you all out there to listen to Counterspeak and make sure that you tune in to the podcast because I think there'll be more discussion about Banned Books Week, I imagine, on your next next, next one. Yeah. Tomorrow, uh, well, we're talking about this. What's the date today? Well, (laughs) um, actually, it'll be today because... Our, this podcast your, will come out the same day as your podcast. Right. And you are a, a guest on that show talking about uh, Band Books Week. And we ha- we talked to a couple of, um, we talked to you and a couple of other booksellers about what they're doing for Band Books Week. It was fascinating. And it, it just, I hope everybody listens to it and listens to what the kind of things that booksellers are doing for Band Books Week. And, and certainly... For Ben Books Week, please go to your local independent bookstore and purchase a challenged book and yes. show your support. And, and Sydney, what what website can a uh, consumer go to in order to check out? Uh, can they go to um, bookweb.org, IndieBound? What website should they go to? Well, they can first they can check out the American Library Association website to check out the list of the 11 most challenged books this year. Um, you can visit bookweb.org for more information about Banned Books Week. You can also visit bannedbooksweek.org for more information about Banned Books Week. And then uh, if you want to buy a book online, you can go to indiebound.org. Perfect. And and tell me in your experience, if you can, just each of you give me the most egregious example of something that was banned or a book that was a favorite of yours that you were surprised to hear that it was a banned book. Oh, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I absolutely loved The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Um, That book came across my radar because a few years ago it was uh, pulled out of a school. I can't quite remember where it was, somewhere along the East Coast. Um, And then it continued to get pulled from curriculum over and over and over again. Um, And it's just, it's an absolutely wonderful book about a queer girl whose parents sent her to straight conversion camp. Um, and I, I suppose I understand how and why some people felt like it should be banned. But again, I always come back to the fact that what if you are that queer kid that needs to identify with somebody in a book? Um, everyone should have the opportunity to be able to see themselves in books. And by taking these opportunities away, it, it just really limits people's ability to grow. It, it all absolutely jives with this year's um, theme for Banned Books Week, which is censorship leaves us in the dark, keep the light on. Yeah, I, I you know, working for ASCII, I should never be surprised. I guess that people <laughs> are banning books, but I have to say, I'm, I'm in general when I hear about say Huckleberry Finn being banned or To Kill a Mockingbird, that that always kind of I, still surprises me. But I have to say, looking at the ALA list and seeing Captain Underpants, which is my <laughs> younger son's favorite book, I just, I just uh, he loves that book. It is phenomenal. He, it's just it's really funny. He loves it. He's got his Captain Underpants uh, bed sheets and everything. I mean, um, and that I, book, I have to say that kind of, like, and that book, of things, that really... That book has done more to turn boys on to reading than just about any other book, I think, right? Yeah. Exactly. He loves reading. My son goes to bed, and he's got a book in his hands when he's... Because of that book. 
Oh, you know, and, and think and about Man. think about <laughs> Harry Potter. You know, the Harry Potter books completely changed the landscape of publishing. Yeah. That has changed yeah. our world a hundred percent. And to see those books be challenged just blows my mind. It really is. It, it's you never know, and, and Harry Potter is often challenged, and you just sometimes um, I still get surprised. I have to say, yeah. Well. Dave and Sydney, I can't thank you enough for being on The Literary Life. Thank you so very much. And thank you. We all appreciate the work that you do. Well, thanks for having us. And thank you for those kind words. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us.